One of the things that's been a mark on this church of recent years is that there have been a number of people who, for the first time ever, have had encounters with God in ways that stretch beyond what they're used to. And from the stories I've been hearing from Connections and SLM and some of the services, some of you have been stepping into some things that you didn't realize were even possible in the Lord and didn't expect, but in some ways God's been speaking to you in unusual ways. And what I want to suggest is that encounters with God are available to us and they're a privilege from the Lord. They aren't the thing that we seek, but at the same time, we embrace them when they come to us. But they, they're to move us into activity and move us into understanding in the Lord. And so, you know, when, when uh, I, one of the stories I heard, and I'm sorry if I, I didn't clear this because I don't know who you are, but you know, the other night in, in, in prayer together, one of you apparently is having an encounter where you're going, somebody's holding my hand, but when you open your eyes, there's no one there. And yet, in a sense, God was touching your heart and going, I'm here and I'm involved with your life. <laughs> and that, that's an awesome thing, and that's something you'll cherish most of your life. But where's it going to take you? You know, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is such that, you know, we talk about the Spirit of, or Paul talks about the Spirit of Christ, is if you don't have that, you don't have anything in him. So we are born of the Spirit when we enter into salvation. But there's that sanctifying work. Well, sanctifying, that's a biblical term, right? But it, it's that idea of cleaning, you know, where, where sin is taken out of our lives. And the Spirit of God helps. He lets us see truth. He helps us understand the paths that we're to walk. And he moves us away from sinful addictions and habits and patterns. It moves us into a righteousness that's in him. So that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Another portion of the internal is that this awareness of God is said it's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And so in some ways, this awareness, there's something unseen that is powerful and it's influencing my life, but it's this promise of what lies ahead eternally. And so all of that's interior but also externally, there comes out this thing of, you know, Jesus had told the disciples, wait until you receive power and you'll be my witnesses. So there is this, this transformation of their hearts that moves them into expressing the gospel to others in ways that they responded to. And furthermore, then we have also gifts of the Spirit listed in both Corinthians and Romans in particular that say that you are enabled by the Spirit of God to serve others within the body of Christ with giftings that are given by Him. So all of that, you know, internally, externally, uh, there's a lot that transpires in our lives because of the Spirit of God. So what we looked at last week in, in Acts chapter 1, where they're waiting, they don't get to choose when it happens, they don't even know what's going to happen. They just know that Jesus has told them, wait until you receive power. And so they've gone through 10 days of waiting, which had to be frustrating, 
uh, had to be kind of, uh, what's next, you know, and what are we going to do? And, and they walked through some things. Uh, you know, they, they decide to put a 12th man in place. It, it's interesting to me, Jesus didn't choose that person. He lets them take care of that business. Um, that's a whole other aside thing to just kind of chew on. You know, why did he do that? Why didn't he? I guess he decided he didn't need to or didn't want to. I, I don't know. But so they're waiting, and then Acts chapter 2 happens. And we'll just read. It says they were together in one place, and this is roughly 120 people, or that's the last number mentioned anyway. And uh, they hear a sound of a blowing like a violent wind filled the whole house where they were sitting. And what they saw seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, what we're going to read later is that they began speaking languages that other people would understand. And uh, it was kind of an amazing, an amazing thing. Now, that took place, and, it, and there were other instances in the book of Acts of this. But I, I'll, my heritage is classical Pentecostal. I was third generation within a group that identified this thing of tongues. And truthfully, we got preoccupied with just the tongues part of it. And yet, uh, I want to share that, you know, it was, it was precious, but also there's a lot more to it. You know, and when you, you recognize that His Spirit is to change my life and transform me. And, and we, we sought experiences, and, and they're awesome, and I'd encourage you, seek whatever the Lord will give you. But know that He wants to do much in your life. And it isn't just about having highs in Him. You know, if we're just seeking that, it's kind of like the person that you know, they're all the time talking about the, the great meal or the great drink, you know, all, you know, the, what, what's best, you know. And I'm going, your life's pretty small if all you're thinking about is food and drink. You know, you're, it's all about today, right? Having a great meal, you know, or, or and I'm just going, there is much more to life than this. But if, if all you're focused on is the moment, well, then, you know, I guess that's special, Good for you. Um, but, you know, if you look for a larger picture, then you're going, well, yeah, I eat to live, but I don't need too much beyond that. You know, it's, it's all your perspective, right? So, again, let's, let's go on. It says, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation. You know, God's timing is perfect. A lot of that same group had been there at the Passover and knew the crucifixion story. They just didn't know the rest of the story, the resurrection. They're there for the next uh, feast, Feast of Pentecost. Now they're about to see and hear that Jesus rose from the dead. But the um, God-fearing Jews, and they heard this sound, and I assume it was the, the sound of the rushing wind and, and uh, people talking, you know, Something, something crazy is happening. So they run. And it says they came together in bewilderment because they heard their own language being spoken. Pretty amazing. So they're from all over the world. 
come, they've come to town for their festival, and suddenly they're hearing people speak in their own language. And they go, on, aren't these guys Galileans? They shouldn't know how to speak these languages. And they're utterly, utterly amazed. So we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. So what's coming out in this expression? People are declaring the wonders of God, and they're being astounded by this. Okay. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Um, when you're confronted with things like this, you have to evaluate and say, is it real or not, right? And the easiest way to not have to deal with change or not have to really cope with something is just to dismiss it. You know, and then to step into mockery, <laughs> fools. You know, or to, yeah, <laughs> they're drunk. Now, how do you get the impression of drunkenness if they're just speaking language? I'm assuming that there was a whole lot going on and it was somewhat messy. And quite honestly, we've had messy here at times. And those of us in leadership are going, I don't know what to do here. Not sure. You do your best to steward, but it's new. So you're trying to figure out, okay, well, looks like God's in this. But, you know, and, and I, I always tell people, you have a responsibility, not just a right, but a responsibility in the Lord to discern in your heart, is this from God or not? Because he will speak to you and tell you. And you have the right to say, uh, yeah, that's craziness. Or you have to say, that's unusual, but there's something going on, even though I don't understand it. And so in this moment, some are going, yeah, they're just nuts. And that mockery takes over and they just dismiss it and walk away. That's a simple answer for you know, a lot of what we see, right? It's an easy way to dismiss other religious groups. Easy way to, to dismiss other churches. Oh, they're just doing that. Can't be God. It's, you know, they're just, they got a new program. Or they got, you know, they're just... <laughs> We always, oh, they just feed those kids. That's the only reason they show up. <laughs> you know? And you're kind of going, well, yeah, we do feed people, but that's, that's certainly not the, it's not the core of what we do. And you, you have these moments where you have to say, well, God, if that's you, well, then speak to me too, however you do this. And do in me whatever you want. Um, this, I'm going to step aside for just a minute. There's, there's five incidences where in the book of Acts where um, you have this baptism of the Spirit or the Spirit being poured out. And it happens to the Samaritan population in Acts chapter 8. Philip's gone there. 
then Peter and John go down and they lay hands on him and something takes place. It doesn't say tongues, but something takes place. And it's obvious enough that they say the Spirit's poured out here. In Acts chapter 9, you have uh, Paul, where Ananias comes to him, prays that he'd receive the Holy Spirit. Doesn't say what happens, but in Corinthians, Paul says, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than you all. So at some point, he also speaks in tongues. In Acts chapter 10, you have Cornelius' household. This is the introduction of the Gentile church. And they start speaking in tongues before Peter's done. And he's going, okay, I guess they're accepted into the kingdom as well. You know, it, it shakes him up, but he has to go back and ex- he has to go back to Jerusalem and explain what happened, why he, why he was there in the first place, because it's so out of the box for them that they just don't get it. In Acts chapter 19, the John the Baptist followers in Ephesus come into this experience. Now, in both Cornelius' household or in Ephesus, there's only 12 men listed as being there. There's no need for other languages, so to speak, of, uh, uh, because it's not a festival. There's not people from other nations. Yet it says they have a, a similar experience. So I don't know exactly what was going on, but you know, tongues was a mark on these groups. But in some ways, it's a, a pulling together of the church with a, a common experience. And it, it, in our early days, historically, that was the main experience. Uh, often, there are other experiences accompanying or different. What's powerful, though, is that when the presence of God comes on you and affects you in a way that goes beyond your thinking and touches the experiential, you're going, I can't forget these things. Now, what I'd like you to note as we go into this, Peter's going to go back to the Scripture to explain what's transpiring. But, and we'll make some notes connected to that. He stands up, dresses the crowd, says, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully. These people aren't drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. So <laughs> he's using a reasoned argument with them and saying, guys, very few people get up early enough to get drunk by 9. And most that have been drinking all night are going to bed by then. So he says, this doesn't make sense even in this setting. But he says, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now, this was a fisherman, but he knew the book of Joel. Do you know it well enough to know what he was talking about? Interesting thought, isn't it? Now, he'd spent time with Jesus, and maybe Jesus had been expressing this going to come, but... He is going back to the scripture to say this this defines our experience. And that's critical to what we do. You've you've got to take your experiences back to the Lord and to scripture and say, is this legitimate or not? So he says, in the last days, now he's quoting Joel, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. They'll prophesy and I'll show wonders in the heavens above and earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. Sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Does it specifically mention tongues in this passage? No. So what Joel is describing is wider than just a tongues experience, right? When Joel's saying this is for all people, but Peter's going back with a specificness and saying this experience is part of what Joel was talking about, even though Joel didn't define it that tightly. So when we read the book of Joel and we're looking and saying, okay, the sun's going to be darkened and the moon turned to blood, that's, that's different than what is happening in that moment. But we interpret it as saying, Joel, many years ago, was looking ahead. He saw the Acts 2 experience, but he also saw into the future that even goes beyond you and I. It's all future to him. So he's recording, this is what I see coming. Some of it is in our past, some of it's in our future. So there's a, a picture being drawn here that has application more than in a single moment and more with a, than a single experience. He's saying, and Joel lists specifically prophecy, dreams, visions. How many dreams happened that day that we know of? Well, there's nothing recorded there, is there? How many visions happened that day that we know of? Nothing recorded that we know of. The prophecy that came would have been declaring the wonders of God, but again, that's, that's, a, that's a bit of a stretch even defining it, right? But he's saying there is coming a time when the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on people irregardless of who they are. Young, old, men, women, servant, it doesn't really matter. He says there's an opportunity for the presence of God to be poured out on whoever you are. And so, you know, Peter is saying our experience fits within the parameters of what Joel was describing. So he's taking it back and declaring it, but... We wouldn't say that this, what Peter was saying, this is the only thing that can happen through the Spirit because Peter's addressing something much wider and bigger. Then he moves on from there. He's, he's tied it to the Scripture. Now he says, here's the connector. Jesus of Nazareth, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, God did among you and through him. And then he goes on to say, with the help of wicked men, they put him to death. But it was in death, impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So he's saying, we're, de we're declaring the, the wonders of God and this presence of God that's with us now. This, he says, it's, it's all attributed to the work of Jesus. And that he died and he rose again. And then he goes on to say, David spoke about him. So again, he brings up the person of Jesus, but how does he tie it to their thinking? He goes back to the scripture. 
How many of you know the Psalms well enough to know what passages he's referring to? I, I just, I'm throwing this out there because the Scripture needs to be precious and important in our lives. And if we're going to define our experiences in the Lord and the paths that we take, we're going to have to attach it to Scripture. And if Peter, a fisherman, is capable of pulling back passages that we're unfamiliar with, perhaps we need to go do more digging. Just throw that out there to you. Peter says of David, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand and I will not be shaken. He goes on to say, you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And he goes on to say, well, David died. So what was David talking about? He goes on to say, David saw one of his line that was going to have an unusual encounter or change, something different than it had ever been. He was going, death was not going to keep its hold on him. David is looking and seeing, there's life beyond. He's making that declaration. And so Peter's saying, that's what Jesus did. He lived through this. He has a power attached that was described in the scripture. We can trust this because of it. Says God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Remember, Jesus had been promising, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. It's important that I go away. And they're making this attachment saying, well, he got there because what we're receiving now is what he had promised to us. He said, David didn't ascend into heaven. And he said, sit at my right hand and I'll make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Who is that talking about? He's saying it's about Jesus. Therefore, let Israel be assured, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So he says, Jesus is the one. He says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. He said, brothers, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. Many other words he warned them, pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The same declaration goes out today, right? There's corruption all around us, but there's an opportunity for our lives to be transformed by God. And we have the privilege of anticipating His Spirit's work in our hearts. And we call out and say, forgive us our sins. Free us from those things. Let your Holy Spirit guide and direct our lives. Sanctify us by the cleansing work of your Spirit. As those who accepted his message were baptized, about 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. So it wasn't at all smooth. (laughs) In fact, they went from this 
group of 120 to 3,000, and you're just going, I'm sure that it was like, what? How, how, how does this work? So, again, coming back. We come together and we say, our salvation is tied to the person of Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose again. From the scriptures, we see that he was the, the one that was unique above all. When writers like David, a thousand years in advance, would write things about him, and they come true, we're going, that's unusual. When we embrace that, we also have the opportunity for the Spirit of God to work in our hearts in ways that were beforehand impossible. And as he transforms us and as he works in us, our lives are changed. Some of you will acknowledge that I had an encounter with the Lord, and I am no longer angry the same way that I've been angry all of my life. How does that work? Right? You know, there are testimonies in this congregation. I came to the Lord. I had this encounter with Him. I went out and tried to get drunk, and I couldn't. And it was over. It had controlled my life for years, but now it's done. I don't, you know... And, and others will say, well, I still struggled, but God has set me free. We don't really care how it happens, just so it happens, right? We really don't care how our lives are transformed, just so they're transformed. We don't really care even what experiences we have, just so we have encounters with Him. Because they are so precious in those moments. When I was a kid, I'd go to youth camp, and there was a fair amount of emphasis on the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our camps. And I'd crowd to the Lord, and I had to have encounters with Him, but I never spoke in tongues, and so <laughs> I tended to demean that experience, which wasn't right, and, but God was dealing with me as He wanted to. And... Uh, Later on, when I entered college and I was trying to forget God, and, uh, you know, I, I remember my freshman year going home, spending the whole summer miserable because I, I'm going to church, but I'm not really believing. And so all week long, I'm trying to just figure this out, kind of trying to dismiss it all. At the end of the summer, I, I'm going to a Christian college, so I, you, know, you better decide what you're going to do by the end of summer, right? At the end of the summer, I decide I can't forget my encounters with God, and I can't forget what's transpired. So at very minimum, I probably need to continue in this path until I figure out a way of releasing all this. I wish I, I wish it had been more noble than that, but that's... That's, all, that's where I was at. Trying to forget it and can't. Trying to forget those encounters but unable to. That's all that carried me through that season. Later on, I came up with, with the rational arguments but also other encounters that just said, I'm dialed in and locked to this because I know it's real. But in that moment, those things were things that, that actually carried me through 
So from that point on, I've been unable to diminish experiential encounters. Because for me, it was crucial until I got the other things lined up as well. And now it's one of those things where, do I crave those things? Oh, absolutely. Are they crucial? Well, quite honestly, I feel like God speaks to me daily. Is that fair? You know, we're, you know, it's not his, thus said the Lord, you know, in a, in a microphone voice. <laughs> but there's this awareness of him guiding my steps. And do I have to explain it to everyone else? No, I, I've given up that a long time ago. Some are going to embrace it. Some are going to dismiss it. Some are going to mock it. Doesn't really matter to me at this point. Because that relationship's been built on years of this and seeing his hand. You know, what these guys were stepping into were, were first experiences. They had many more. First encounters. You want to do an interesting study? Go through like this whole book of Acts and list chapter by chapter, did anything supernatural happen or not? Most chapters have a powerful work of God taking place. And even like we mentioned this thing in Samaria with Philip, Philip wasn't one of the 12. He'd been one of the deacons. You know, and, and there are others going on, but I, I'm just, I bring that out to say that it, it was expanding because Joel's prophecy wasn't, wasn't focalized on just this one moment. Joel's prophecy included that moment. But it spoke of something much wider, something that you and I get to participate on. As it says, this was for all who are far off. Date-wise, that's where we sit. Thank the Lord. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, I pray that each one here would know your salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and the transformation of life that comes in you. I would ask even this morning for those wrestling with, um, with that, whether you would even embrace them or not, I ask that you'd give them a confidence that your salvation is for all people. And Lord, as we walk forward and as we have encounters with you, we pray that you'll use those to transform our lives to be all that you want to be, both internally and externally in the way of witness and service to others. Be exalted, we ask. Amen. In this moment, um, some of you have this sense of something's taking place in me and I'm not sure what it is don't run from that but rather allow God to deal with your heart and to just do whatever he wants to do give him openness that way last night uh, I was looking in 1 Peter and it says in chapter 2 um, consider yourself God's slaves well that's not something that's common in our day but there are other things like employer or where others tell us what to do. Now, if, if God was your coach and he
he asked you to run up a hill, <laughs> you know, you'd say, well, I'm going to run up this hill so I get stronger and I can do well in my race. But in a moment, you know, this is a miserable experience. And there are experiences like that in the Lord where you're going, I don't like this experience. But if you trust him as the coach or as the master or as the employer, you're going, it's valuable enough that I'm going to embrace this because of what I gain in the long run. And so what I encourage you today is say, well, you're the coach. What do you want me to do? What, what, what would you desire? What hill do you want me to run? Where do you, you know, what are we going to take on? And then allow him to speak that to you and then step forward into it it as him being good and understanding what needs to happen so that you truly can be victorious in whatever you take on. Okay? I'm going to pray for God's blessing on you and then what remains is open-ended. There is a meal downstairs as well. May blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy the transforming power of your spirit working within them. Be exalted and lifted up, we pray. And Lord, I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural, I ask. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you like prayer, it's easiest to come up, but uh, we'll catch you.